you need to believe that people matter. It would be so great if we could fake that. I just don't think that can be faked. So you got to believe that people matter, uh, and I do, and, and, and the people in my company do. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the North American Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Hello, welcome to the Uniformer. This is Rick Levine from the NAUMD. I am thrilled to be sitting here today with Mike Marmer, uh, president of Heroes Pride. Mike and I actually have known each other probably what, Mike, 20 plus years at this point? Easily, Rick, easily. And thank you for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. My pleasure. I have always had a great respect for uh, the company you've built. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the nuances of it and the stories that you that you may not have told over time. But I've been starting these podcasts, Mike, with a you know, so your role, your title is president, but tell us a little bit about what Heroes Pride does and what you as president of Heroes Pride do throughout the day. What's your job, Mike? Well, like a lot of small business owners, I, I wear a lot of a lot of hats during a day. Uh, and that's, you know, looking over the financials, making sure we're delivering on time, picking up the Coke can in the parking lot that nobody has picked up, all the glamorous stuff. Uh you know, and throughout the year, you know, we, we, we plan, we spend some time planning both strategically and tactically, uh, putting out the fire of the day. I have a great team. They handle most fires. In fact, we don't have that many fires because I have a great team, uh, but we do have some. And uh, it's important that they know that I'm available and have their back and we'll take, we'll help solve those when that happens. Uh, I talk to customers and end users, best part of my day, most important part of my day. Uh, and I run our sales team. I've got a terrific team. Uh, I think the world of them, they seem to be less than hate me. I'm excited about that. And uh, they do a good job. We, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but all that's what I actually do. The intangible of what I do is I really think it's my job to make it easy for people to do the right thing and easier for them to do excellent work. What does do the right thing besides being a Spike Lee joint, right? Didn't he call his movies joints? I think you're right. Besides being a, a Spike Lee joint, what does do the right thing mean in this context? Mike? Well, in, in this context, it's a business context, although everything spills over into everything, doesn't it? I mean, business is just a transaction between people, like a conversation. So doing the right thing means you treat the customer right. It means you tell them accurate information. It means you provide them a quality product. It means that people do what they say they're going to do. It means that if you're reporting on a mistake to your manager, that you tell the right story, that you tell the full story, that you know you can do that and, uh, and trust that things will be handled appropriately. Uh, all of that is doing the right thing. And all of that, when that's in place, I think provides a platform that people can do excellent work. That's a really empowering leadership thought. And that's kind of wonderful to hear that philosophy, because I think we lose touch with that, that, and especially in this, this age of having 16 different ways that customers and teammates and colleagues uh, communicate with each other throughout the day. So I could be getting a text, I could be getting an instant message, I, you could be getting something on social media, from a customer, you get, you're certainly getting emails. You can have, you know, uh, if you have an intranet at a company, there's all of these mechanisms 
And, and then it becomes super easy to miscommunicate and to, to just bark at each other in a way that really makes us forget that we're just two people interacting with each other. And um, there's a funny uh, comedian that describes it of, can you imagine the, some of the things you say to people when you're in your car, yelling at another car versus, can you imagine saying those things if you were standing in an elevator with that person? You're never going to swear at the top of your voice at that person in an elevator. And I think your philosophy about communication is so critical that in building a team, do you, you know, how much... I know I'm going off on tangents here, but how much do you attribute to 32 years of success for Hero's Pride to that leadership philosophy that you're describing? And, and am I even describing it back to you correctly? Uh, I Well, I think you are describing it correctly. And there's two parts to that question. So let's go back to the 32 years part. But I do think this is critical to who Hero's Pride is. And I think it's critical to the team that we have. You know, I really think that uh, there's layers to what makes a good workplace. What leather, layers make is a culture, right? What is a culture? Uh, well, first of all, I do think it's people like we're talking about. And you, you need to believe that people matter. It would be so great if we could fake that. I just don't think that can be faked. The, uh, so you gotta believe that people matter. Uh, and I do, and, and the people in my company do. Then we have a thing in our office that I love that when I'm giving a tour of our office, I always start with in our main bullpen, we have a big wall and it's got a picture of everyone who's been there 25 years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, five years. Uh, and with different shelves and the shelves are labeled and there's a picture of them. And above it is a sign that says wall of fame. We celebrate those people and they are our secret weapon. They are the reason we are able to be the company that we are. Uh, and I really think that you only get that when you put your effort into setting things up the right way. If they trust the, you know, you can't tell a, an employee to lie to a customer and then have them not think, well, he must lie to me too. So in your communications with your people and in celebrating them, they, they feel a certain way. There's a level of trust, which allows them to go out and not be like someone in their car yelling at someone, but to have a higher caliber communication. And I think it just resonates back and forth positively. I think that's all vitally important. And there was an old adage of what's the difference between a software salesman and a used car salesman. And the answer is the used car salesman knows when they're lying. <laughs> uh -huh. the, the reason I'm being, bringing up that anecdote is how do people know, like sometimes they don't know when they're lying uh, in the sense that you've got what? 10,000 SKUs or something crazy like that. I mean, there's, you know, uh, a, a t so much product and there must be so much education that has to go into uh, helping people know how to answer a question or where to get an answer or, or what to say if they don't know the answer. What is, talk to me about how uh, coaching and training, you know, looks like uh, and then talk a little bit about what those actual products are, just in case folks don't know what uh, Eero's Pride Well, does. great. Well, it's great. Let me start with that. I certainly don't want to lose sight of that. The, um, so we make a variety of uniform accessory items, patches, particularly custom patches. We have a large selection of stock patches. Uh, we do metal insignia. We do duty gear. We have some uniform accessories like shirt stays. We have wallets and badge holders. We don't make the uniform, but anything that you use while wearing that uniform, it's a good chance that we provide it. And we do a good job. We have very good products. 
I think I lost your core question there. Your core question was about training. The uh, well, anyway, two things there. One is you made the mis- you know, it's not like we're above a mistake. You know, you say to a customer, "Hey, you're going to have this in three weeks," and then it turns out to be three weeks and three days. You didn't lie to the customer as long as you believed you were going to do it in three weeks. It just played out that way. The uh, so we're not a mistake-free workplace, although we try to keep our mistakes at a minimum, uh, obviously. But no, in terms of what kind of training, yeah, we there's two types of things that go into this. One is we absolutely put time into training. We want people to know our product and we're systematic in terms of how we bring people on. We make sure that they know the product. We make sure they know how to handle a phone call service first. So they know how to give a high level of service on a phone call. You said something about not knowing the answer. So you don't make up an answer. You say, you know, that's a good question. Let me find out the answer and I'll get back to you and tell them you'll get back to them in two hours. Don't say you'll get back to them in 10 minutes because 10 minutes goes fast in a business environment. And then you get, say, tell them two hours, you get your answer, you call them back in a half hour and you did more than you said you were going to do, right? That's just basics. Uh, But we hit those basics before they become a hero's pride salesperson. Uh, But a high standard of knowing the product is a lot of what we provide. Uh, When I think of one of our core uh, competencies, custom patches, uh, what we do there is we take something that's messy and difficult and we make it easy. Uh, and we, may, we, we have had stores tell us that it's like we're in their back office. It's like we're in the office next door and that it's now the easiest item they take care of. Well, when we're doing that, we're doing our job right. Uh, and that's our goal. You know, and I, can I jump in and say something about goals too? I think this is huge. You know, when we were talking about trying to build that right culture in the right workplace, I do think that aspiring to be excellent and, you know, what's the thing like they say about a life? It's, uh, it's not about the, it's the ride, not the destination. So excellence is a ride. It's not truly a destination. It's always moving. Uh, people want to be part of excellent and people will give you more and people will rise to the occasion if they feel they're part of something. And I can give you an example from my own experience. I am one of the world's truly terrible golfers, truly terrible. I, once I was uh, golfing with uh, Benny Belcher when he was at Gauls and uh, I borrowed a hybrid club from him all day. I think he had to burn that club by the end of the day because Tiger Woods couldn't hit a ball straight with it by the time I'd loaded all my bad swings into it. Uh, but let me tell you, because I'm a bad golfer, I just hang out and enjoy the people I'm with. Well, I think when people are in a company that doesn't strive to be excellent, they just hang out just like I do on the golf course. But if people can, you know, winning is fun. If people are part of something truly special, if people are part of something where they're really doing something, and that gets us to a whole other idea of mission, and that's the other blessing that all of us in this industry have is a powerful mission. Uh, now you get something that people can get excited about and they apply themselves to, and then real magic happens. You know, we, we've been so fortunate that we've had so many bright, capable, dedicated people come into Heroes Pride and stay. It's it's just joyful to look around and see all those people and to see that level of dedication. That I would agree is a, a real testament to what you're building and continue to to work on, as you accurately described. This isn't a once and done management style that we need to be lifelong learners. I am a huge proponent of that. I appreciate that you've got this shelf celebrating longevity. That's a really good idea, especially, you know, in light of there's two things everyone says to me this year so far. One is 
oh my gosh, it's so hard to move goods around this planet right now. And I cannot believe, you know, that we're struggling this much, you know, and how spoiled were we when it was easy to just put things on a ship and get it where you wanted it to go in a reasonable amount of time. And then the second thing is, we cannot find people who want to work, we cannot recruit enough people, we cannot you know, get enough people in the doors. And as companies, that's this monstrous challenge that we're not used to. We as companies, business owners, managers, we're so used to for the past few decades, being able to just throw people at a problem, say, oh, we've got a problem over here. Let's just hire some people and, and we'll get that done. And, and that's not a luxury luxury we have anymore. So if you have people that are sticking around, hats off to you and everyone's going to, you know, um, listen with jealousy. But I mean, how do you recruit? Is recruiting a problem right now for you as well? Because we, you know, we're in this time of, 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 of just a, a lack of of workforce. And it's not just the pandemic. This was a problem pre-pandemic. It's going to be a problem for a number of years, for a number of, of industries, us included, um, to, to be able to get enough people. They don't have to be degreed you know, scientists. <laughs> I'm just talking about people to do you know, every level of job that needs to get done in, in our economy. Well, I think that... Uh... I think you hit on something big and we've adapted some of the things we do and some of how we present ourselves for that very problem. Uh, you know, there was a time when uh, we had a room that people could eat lunch in and it didn't have much. And at some point we had, we put in a pool table and we put in nicer tables in there. And in fact, to give credit to that idea, where you know, I got to take a step back. First of all, you know, the, all of this, we is truly a, we it's the whole company, but also I have a business partner. Sometimes people in the industry don't know that because I tend to be front facing. Uh, my business partner has been my best friend since I was 14 years old. And he is both the uh, smartest and best guy that I know. And I don't know much, but I know enough that if the smartest and the best guy that you know, wants to be your business partner, you should be in business with that person. But I will say this, that his idea was that we needed to upgrade that lunchroom that we ended, you know, that means something, you know, you're walking someone around and they can see, oh, look, there's a little more life to this place. You know, one way that we're adapting now is we're experimenting with giving people a day, a week remote, something we never used to do. Uh, I don't know if we'll keep that up long term, but we're doing it now. And it's an attempt to adapt to the world as it is and stay attractive uh, and stay current. You know, Google, who doesn't do this, by the way, Google adapts constantly, but they're probably a big enough name that they could say, hey, look, this is who I am. And if you're not interested, I'll just go to the next person in line. Heroes Pride can't do that. We've got to stay attractive, just like we have to keep getting better for our customers. And by our customers, I mean both our customers and the end users of our product. Uh, we've got to keep staying attractive to attract talent. We brought in a uh, VP. Uh, part of this, too, is you got to get the right people on board. We have a VP of strategy, a super bright fellow, Osbar Hama. We brought him on. During the pandemic, good for him for coming on and taking taking a shot on us. He is sensational and he's making changes and he's younger than me, as most people are, and dynamic. And, and, uh, and I think that matters. I think when people see that, they get excited about, oh, who this company could be and they want to be part of it. I think that that all really matters. What's your business partner's name, Mike? Dave, Dave Steinman. And as I said, he's been my best friend since I was 14 years old. And I am loving that story. So do we have the, the, the classic 
um, TV movie in the making here where the two of you are in a garage in California and you come up with this idea for making uh, custom embroidered patches or leather goods or nylon goods or something. And so what's the origin well, story? The, the origin story, it, that would be a great origin story. The origin story has a lot of those elements, but I'm not part of it. The, uh, my, the company was actually originally started in a different incarnation, not as Heroes Pride, but what the, the, the acorn that became Heroes Pride uh, was started by my friend's father, who had been in a related uniform uh, area and started the company. And then Dave came on. And then when we were, I don't know, 1990, Rick, that was a long time ago. In 1990, uh, we, we decided, hey, let's be business partners together. Actually, he first tried to get me to come work for him. And I said, well, I'm not going to come work for you. And then we came up with an idea about being business partners. But we, we knew we couldn't guarantee that it would work. We didn't, so we decided to give it a two-year try. And that was 32 years ago. So, so far, it's been good. We'd always clicked as friends. We clicked as business partners. We have the ability to be honest with each other. It's about the idea. We, for a while, I was in a thing called Vistage. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a CEO group. You get together with, uh, depending on the size of your group, 12 to 16 CEOs. And sometimes there's a speaker that comes in and you talk about business issues. For someone who grew up in a single company, it was valuable to me. Uh, but there used to be the fellow who ran it would come in and visit once a month to each company of a group person in the group. And sometimes I'd have Dave come in and we'd talk about an issue with the fella. That fella who saw a lot of companies said that we had the most functional business partnership he'd ever seen. And it's because it's about the idea. It's not about, is it my idea? It's not about, is it Dave's idea? It's about which idea is best for the company? Which idea makes the most sense? In my twenties, um, I, you know, was an entrepreneur. I've always been an entrepreneur. My stepfather said to me at one point, you know, if two partners always agree, one of the partners is unnecessary. And you know what? I've come to not agree with that, Mike. I've come to more of a opinion that what you and your friend, your best friend have is just as good as two partners who bring different perspectives to something all the time. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but your friendship is part of that culture that you described at the start of our conversation, which is, hey, we're going to enjoy being a team. We're going to enjoy spending time together. We're going to enjoy, you know, creating something together and that that's going to be infectious to everyone else. Uh, I do think it, I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, I don't want to give the impression that we do always agree because we don't always agree, you know, but there, there is a two things. One is, it's like a marriage. I know you've been married 32 years. By coincidence, I've been married 32 years as well. And it's not that Lori and I ever agree, always agree on everything. Uh, first of all, Doug, I, I, so lucky in life. Uh, I made the world's greatest choice in a business partner, I think, but I made an even better choice in a wife. The, uh, she has been nothing but supportive and wonderful. And when I said, hey, I think I want to do a left turn and risk everything and be, you know, have a patch company, she was all in. But, you know, through the years, there are some things that we used to disagree on that we've had enough conversations about that we have our position. On. Uh, and that's true of Dave and I, too. Things come up all the time. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we disagree. It is true. We are not radically different people. We are friends. So, of course, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of commonality. Uh, but it doesn't mean we net. We always come out in the same place, although we always find a good place to net, too. Uh, but there are the, the creative disagreement 
if it's not allowed to be destructive, is powerful. I, I think that's true for a whole company. I'll tell you a, a story uh, that happened just recently. Last week, uh, we were in a meeting of my sales team, and we have someone who's been with the company for for a little while, but she's new to the sales team, uh, new to be taking on Heroes Pride customers. And there was a 27-year veteran who made a point early in the meeting. She disagreed with him. And I stopped the meeting and I thanked her uh, and said, good for you for disagreeing. We want this to be about the ideas, not whose idea it is. And I think that you, you need to create that space that people can disagree in order to hear other viewpoints. You need to make it safe. It's easy to say we want to hear composing viewpoints, but if you slam the people who give you opposing viewpoints, it's not going to happen. To bring it back to the first point, uh, so it's not that we don't disagree sometimes, but A, it is true through the years we've come up with our philosophy on a lot of things. And it saw, you know, we both want the same thing for the company. You know, I'll tell you one thing, we're both blessed by really loving this company and having a long-term view of this company and wanting to really take it into the future. And uh, so we managed to find our way to the best idea. So I'm going to come back to this uh, 10,000 SKUs. Great. Let's do that. Little note. All right. Because I imagine one of the places partners and strategic thinkers can disagree is, well, where's our next thousand SKUs going to come from? Where, where, you know, is it solely based on sales? It can't be because you're in so many product areas that, you know, you have to make decisions about, you know, whether we're going to be beefing up duty gear, whether we're going to be concentrating more on stock um, patches, whether, you know, um, I noticed you have some products on Amazon now. There's, you know, there's, there's all of these, channels, there's all of these products, there's all of these markets. And I would just, you know, I'm, I'm a, a marketer mostly for that's the way I make a living, Mike, I can't imagine dealing with that much inventory coming from that many places, uh, being sold to that many places in that many channels. That's just a, so much forecasting, my, my brain hurts. So how do you decide where to invest and grow your product lines? It, it generally starts in the right place, which is the customers and the end users. Our customers talk to us. We talk to end users. And end users, uh, end users are a greater help, I have to admit, once we're in a product line and then in, in constant improvement and necessary adds to an existing product line. Frequently, the idea for getting into a product line comes from the customers and typically it comes from a place of pain for them. You know, they, they would like an alternative here. When we first got into metal insignia, one of our first ads was actually a fellow, Jim DeRosa, who is former owner of Quartermaster Uniforms, who came to us and he'd been sourcing it overseas. And he was up to here with frustration. And he came to us and said, I really wish you guys would get into this. Uh, if you guys were to get into this, boy, I'd market the heck out of it and I'd really run with it. And so, well, we did some sourcing work and uh, came up with an offering and he liked it. And we did a lot of work and uh, a lot of improving along the way. And we had something. And then we went to stores with it and they were very happy with it. So, but it came from the customer first. That was true with uh, almost all of our ads, ads holders and wallets, uh, duty gear. These are things that people were not happy with some aspect of the offering out there or 
aspects of the offerings out there and uh, came to us. And we thought there was a niche in the marketplace that we could fill, that we could bring value. Early on, I had uh, Michael from Leon Uniform actually said something smart to me. He says a lot of smart things, but he said something smart to me. He said that um, I'm, I'm going to clean it up because my mom might listen to this. The, uh, he said to me that there's a lot of junk in the marketplace and don't just be more junk in the marketplace. And we've had a lot of good, smart customers give us good feedback like that through the years. And so, you know, when we have something we think we can truly add, a niche we can fill, yeah, we go after it and we develop it. And sometimes we develop it for a while and it, ah, it's not happening like it did on the chalkboard. We let it go. Uh, and sometimes it works beautifully. But then to your point, it's a lot of SKUs. It takes a lot of systems. We are a very system-driven company. You got to be with that many SKUs. It's worked. We've got a good, a lot of good, dedicated people working that. And it's all warehoused in uh, the West Coast or how, to, how, how do you handle fulfillment? Well, we're all from our warehouse in the West Coast. And, and we invest heavily in inventory. That's a, uh, we always did. Uh, we always felt that was a competitive advantage. You know, this is my, this is my, this is what I'm in on. You and I talked about a business opportunity a thousand years ago, you may remember. And at the time I came back to you and I said, you know, I think that's going to boom, but uh, I have investments I want to make in my business. The, uh, and so this is where it is. So investing in inventory uh, is one of the ways we do that. And now let me tell you with the pandemic, and as you pointed out earlier, the headaches in getting merchandise in, uh, as it is, there's still those headaches. You know, we're, we're not immune from those headaches like others are either, but we, investing heavily in inventory is one way we beat it, uh, that when we get over the hump of the disruption, that we come from a place of strength in terms of having things when people need it. And that's an important thing. Having things when people need it, that's the way the world is going. So that is important to us that we do that. Yeah. I had someone else say that there were two things they learned from the pandemic that were super important, cash and inventory. Yes. That, you know, if you didn't have cash for that rainy day, um, you were, you were destined to go under. We all have restaurants in our areas that, you know, didn't survive over this past year simply because they could not handle that cash um, burn to, to, uh, to survive. Uh, and then the other is inventory, but not just inventory at, at the warehouse, you know, with the finished product, it's inventory all the way along the line that I imagine, you know, you're needing to look at where leather is being kept or where your threads are being kept pre-production and, you know, just levels it all over the place. It's really this past year has forced people to, you know, to, uh, to look at all of that. Do you see that as some of your biggest upcoming challenges to stay on top of, um, well, let's not talk about the cash, but, but to stay on top of the, um, the inventory? Is that, what, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see either Heroes Pride or the industry in general facing? That's a good question. The, uh, I'll tell you, first, let me give you the Heroes Pride answer. I know Heroes Pride better than I know the industry, I suspect, since, I, since I'm there all the time. The, uh, so uh, I know for us, that is a challenge that we need to continue to adapt to. We got very lucky. Uh, we read a book years ago about Deming, uh, Edward Deming or something, Edwards Deming. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's uh, an industrial engineer uh, from a long time ago. And he had 14 things, uh, 14 key success principles for a business. Uh, but one of them was 
don't just source things out to the cheapest place. Find someone that's worth partnering with and truly partner with them. Uh, so we have uh, factories that we have done that with. Uh, we don't just shop around, shop around, this is cheaper, this is cheaper. Uh, we really want to put in the time so we can develop quality, good processes, which yield both faster turn, more inventory, and ultimately efficiencies in the process, which goes back to a competitive price. But I really do think that the uh, continuing that remains just as important. But in terms of changes for all of us, I do think that, uh, that it will... This disruption from COVID is clearly still going on. I can't see it getting much better in the next year. And that even as things get better, I think it's important to remember that these disruptions might be a more common occurrence in the future. And that planning, you know, it's easy to plan for a rainy day during the rainy day. Uh, when the rain stops, do you plan for the next rainy day? That's the key. And I think that's important. I think that's something we could all learn from. In some ways, I was thinking about this. What you produce and supply makes or breaks the uniform, Mike. <laughs> so it's like, I'm wearing a polo shirt right now. Well, I bought this polo shirt from insert retailer name. It, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, it's only becomes this uniform. I mean, we could talk about performance of the fabric and the polo manufacturer would take exception to what I'm saying, because clearly there's a lot that has to go into the polo shirt to make it a uniform polo shirt. And the fact that it needs to you know, survive 40 washings and maintain its color and its you know, complexity and its hand. Yes, I get all of that. But <laughs> it, it, it's the rare uniform that is the FedEx purple or the UPS brown. And I recognize it solely from the color. The reason I recognize that it's a uniform is because a hero's pride patch might be on it, or uh, it might say Lieutenant Dan on a, uh, a medal insignia that's on my chest, or um, I have got a duty belt on. And that's more how I recognized you as being a security guard at this shopping mall than knowing that you had epaulets, you know? So it must be, um, uh, and I don't know if there's a question in there. Well, but, and yet, and yet, typical of me, I have an answer, even though there may not be a question. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, you nailed on something huge that I like, that a little bit of wordplay that I always enjoy. I don't think anyone else does, but I certainly do, which is, you know, navy blue uniform, navy blue uniform, navy blue uniform. You know, they all look uniform, which is why we call it a uniform. Uh, right. But the identity is all about the patch. Is all about the patch. You know, earlier we just touched on the importance of mission, the mission that all of us in this industry have. You know, we are working for the people who have the hardest jobs on the planet, whether that's law enforcement, whether that's public safety whether that's the military. These are people who every day put their lives on the line, go into difficult situations, uh, and whether that's difficult, dangerous to them, difficult emotionally because of the kind of things they're dealing with. These are the hardest things, hardest jobs on the planet. If our execution of a detail like the patch just gives them a certain more pride in the uniform, a little more pride in the organization, it's just a splash of color on that thing. Well, hopefully we're that splash of something better in a very tough day. Um, that's certainly true with our duty gear, right? Our duty gear serves a highly functional purpose. And uh, the care that we put into it is all about the fact that, hey, someone's going to need this. 
goes into product development. You know, we had a uh, fella come to us and who had uh, been a combat medic and said he was early on a campaign to get uh, tourniquet cases on more duty, go- duty belts. Uh, he has a phrase that I love. It's a fellow named Blair Dell, fabulously committed individual. He says that if a if your tourniquet isn't on the uniform, you don't have a tourniquet. It's in the car in that bag, you don't have a tourniquet. And that led us to, okay, we're going to come up with a tourniquet case. And I think we came out with the first, I believe it was the first, not specific for a particular tourniquet, tourniquet case to fit on the normal duty gear belt. And that's all about the commitment to keeping people healthy. That seemed to make a lot of sense. We actually didn't know if we'd sell any of them. It actually turned out to be a very uh, popular item. Uh, but it was all about the functionality and that sense of mission that it's our job to be there to support these people and how we do. And sometimes it's something small, like let's get that patch details correct and have that be a good looking part of the uniform. Uh, and sometimes it's something very important, like the functionality of that tourniquet case. I, I love that. I love that you had an answer for uh, for that, even though I didn't phrase it in the form of a question. Um, the It occurs to me in what you're describing as well that I have seen over the years departments, agencies, companies even, but mostly departments and agencies will issue a press release when they redesign their patch. Like that's newsworthy. That's, you know, that's something to to take notice of in their community. Um, Not that they redid their uniform, but that the patch has been redone in their area. Do you find that that is something that uh, a lot of customers respond to? Very much so. The uh, the level of detail that a, we have customers all the time, our, our uniform stores say, hey, the lieutenant wants to talk about this. Can I have a lieutenant join us on the call? The chief is interested in this. The level of detail that they will, the level of attention that they will spend on the details of the patches is limitless. And we welcome it. Uh, you know, they're passionate about their patch. Guess what we are? We're passionate about patches. That's what we do. The, uh, so, so, you know, it's like if you, you sit next to a baseball fan at a baseball game, it's fun. Because it's fun to speak with people who have shared passion. So when we're dealing with the customers and they care about their patches, they care what it looks like. We love that. A lot of people collect them. A lot of people collect them. Absolutely. But we get, we get contacted by collectors all the time. Uh, we don't sell to collectors, but we uh, we have to say to them, no, we don't we don't sell to collectors, but we get contacted all the time by people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Not the law enforcement. Can't do that. No, certainly not. Finally, I just all together. The batch, you know, we'll, the keeping the integrity of who is ordering and it's for that person is vital. And, and it's something we just don't stray from. That's really interesting. I love that whole concept of uh, that. You know, what you're doing is the identity piece. You know, that's what really drives it because uh, many can wear navy blue, many can wear a shirt with epilepsy, many can wear a polo shirt. If you're lucky enough to have a clothing designer that comes up with a unique color and you can uh, demand it be produced, great, but (laughs) that's very rare for for most of us. And nor is it necessarily desirable uh, when you're talking about municipal um, workers. So, you know, there's a balance there. I love that. So uh, do you or your partner have uh, have children who are interested in the business? Do you have, uh, what is there a succession plan after three decades? We, well, we fill half that bill 
we both have two children. Uh, they're not interested in the business, at least not yet. And that's all right. You know, I really do believe that, you know, this business has been my passion and I think they should chase their passion. I really think that's an important, important thing for everyone to do. But in terms of succession plan, you know, we, we're building that on as we go. You know, I'd mentioned that we brought in a VP of strategy. He is part of our future management team. Uh, we, the, our succession plan is to put a great, vibrant team in place and to keep this thing going. It has been our privilege to help customers and to help all these end users for the last 32 years. And uh, we want to keep that up. We, we want to keep going. I mean, you, you can do it another 32 years. I wasn't implying that Mike's, it's time for Mike to retire. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the nice part about, about what you're doing is you could. There's no, you know, you're not, uh, you're not a rugby player that, you know, has to worry that his knees are going to go out. So w- would you, so besides your own children, and I think I know the answer based on your, what you described is your, your philosophy and recruiting effort, would you recommend this, you know, industry to, to people uh, in general to enter? Would you uh, recommend this to a recent college graduate? Like what, what, what do we say to encourage uh, more people into uh, this great world that Heroes Pride has and our industry has? I think that, uh, first of all, I think it's a wonderful business to be into. And I think it's a wonderful, and it will continue to be a wonderful business and an area to be in. And as to what I would say to them, I'd say a couple of things. One is, you know, follow your passion. Uh, a lot of people are passionate about law enforcement and, po- and passionate about supporting uh, great things for our communities. And in this industry, you're part of that. Uh, and in terms of where this industry goes, you know, I think that uh, there's going to be a ton of opportunities going forward. You know, the people in our industry are people like every other industry. So all the changes and all the modernization that's going on elsewhere is going to be in our industry, too. I think more and more customization. You know, you go to the Internet, everybody wants customization. Everybody wants, you know, you go to buy a pair of pants and they've got a pair of shoes and it's all the color. I went to buy a pair of tennis shoes the other day. Oh, my gosh. It was like ridiculous. The uh, but people are going to want more and more variation and adapting to that and adapting on the run and embracing technology and coming up with new solutions for tomorrow's problems. How can that not be exciting? And that's what's there for people who come into our industry. The uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Well, Mike, it was a pleasure. You're, I, I have always appreciated your thought leadership, uh, and and this podcast did not disappoint me uh, in in expressing ideas that feel uh, both uh, on the one hand tried and true, but on the other hand, no. This is like this is a contemporary way to think about uh, building a corporate culture. It's a contemporary way to think about building you know, a team about how uh, listening to our customers and, you know, finding products uh, that way and then testing with them. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's refreshing uh, to see that you have built it by this creed uh, and that it continues to work, right? It's, it's, well, it's certainly been a fun ride and continues to be a fun ride. And uh, if you're going to build a business, why not try to build it the way to the best possible business it can be.